Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, NC4. Love the sounds of life. But we want to be about the business of the Word of the Lord. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Ah, the sounds of silence, the sounds of obedience. It's enough to make my heart swell. All right. Well, so Trish and I are just back from the UK. We spent two weeks there where we had opportunity to to do a a lot of ministry. And I was supposed to be coming back and Pastor Ian, of course, we, we crossed paths. We saw each other for like 15 minutes. I came in from England with Trish, and he left with Selena for Spain. So it was like we were ships passing in the night. And I was going to be doing something this morning on the topic of the new heaven and new earth. And I will do that before the end of the year sometime, I promise. Because a number of you asked for me to do it. But when I was on the plane coming back, I just had this... A sense in God that I needed to do something this morning a little bit different. And it's a one-off. We're starting a new series in a, in a week or two. But I felt strongly that God was saying this morning was a morning to break the power of anxiety and fear in the lives of people. I mean, specifically, very specifically. So we want to be about that business this morning. So it's my intention to that end to talk about the topic of the fear of the Lord. And it's a fascinating topic. And the reason that, that, it's, that it's a topic that sometimes confuses people is the idea of fear invo- always involves the interplay uh, of our emotion, our emotional lives. And Solomon tells us in the book of Proverbs that the fear, you've heard this, all of you, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. John Bunyan added this thought. He says, if I lack the beginning of wisdom, I lack the beginning and the end as well. I've got no wisdom. See, wisdom is different from knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge in the world. Knowledge is factual. It's, it, it's what exists. If I say, if I, say I, I perceive that, you know, I perceive that you're a, a banker. That's knowledge. It's a word of knowledge. But wisdom is different. Wisdom is directional. And wisdom is important because you don't know where you're going or how you're going to get there without the wisdom of God. Yogi Berra said, if you don't know where you're going, chances are you're not going to get there, right? (laughs) So there's a difference then between knowledge and wisdom. But if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, this means that fearing God or this fear of the Lord that we're talking about is absolutely essential to to the acquiring of wisdom. In this case, the emotion of fear of the Lord is not only a good thing, it's a fear that's essential to all of us. Yeah? You're going to have to track with me on this message because I I, I have a sense of where we're to go and you're going to have to really track with me if we're going to get there this morning. So fear of the Lord, that kind of fear, that species of fear is really an asset, all right? On the other hand, watch this. The Apostle John, who's the lover of Jesus, tells us in 1 John 4.18, he says, there is no fear, right, in love. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So whereas fear of the Lord is an asset, there's a kind of fear that's a liability, yeah? And so John, of course, can't mean that perfect love casts out the fear of the Lord because that would be contradictory. And I'm going to contend in just a few minutes that, that perfect love is, in fact, the fear of the Lord. Now, as a teacher, you, most, of you, most of you know me for years now. I, I like to define things. I like it when everybody understands what we're all talking about. And I find that when I mention this important topic like the fear of the Lord, we, we tend to disconnect from one another over this word fear, fear. So I want to begin by differentiating from fear, which is destructive to us, from the idea of the fear of the Lord, which is essential to us, okay? In the Bible, there is fear, and then there is fear. And so I want us to have two functional definitions of, of, of these fears. First is this. By the way, I call this message fear for your Lord and the fear of the Lord and we'll unpack what that means in just a few minutes. Okay, my first definition is this. Human, human fear is an emotion of unpleasant alarm and anxiety which can be destructive to our souls. Every one of us have experienced that. It haunts some of us. For some of us, it, it's an attendant kind of thing that we walk through life with. And God's not pleased about that. Because God does not want us to have to walk through life alarmed. Now, fear isn't always destructive. I mean, even Calvinists look both ways before they cross the road. Yeah. <laughs> I was with somebody this past week, and, and I, I just said to them, I had to say to them, because they're, they're Christians, and whenever I'm with them, they just fret. Have you ever met anybody like that? I mean, you know, even though things in their life seem to be going really well, their perspective is always that everything is going to hell in a handbasket, Yeah. And, and see, that's, that's not joy. That's not, that's destructive kind of fear. I said, look, you fret too much. You've got, you, your, your life has to become kind of in, entrenched in this trust of God where you can understand every day is a day of new possibilities in the kingdom of God. So, fear of the Lord then is a profound, it's different, it's, it's a profound awe toward God that gives rise to this holy concern that I'm worthy of his presence. Huh? I was having dinner with Pastor Rex uh, Friday night, and he said, I, I, I see, we were talking about fear of the Lord. He said, I see fear of the Lord is, is, is when I'm just so concerned that he's, that he's pleased with me and that I sense his pleasure. It's that kind of, kind of thing. It's, 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 a, it's a wondrous thing. It's an awesome kind of thing. How many of you have ever heard of the movement of God called the Great Awakening? Huh? Mukunji too? Yeah, the Great Awakening. Probably a third of you here. Great move of God that took place during the 18th century. It was the beginning of the founding of Bethlehem. The Moravians were the ultimate beginning of the Great Awakening. The Holy Spirit fell there in the, in the 18th century, fell in Herrenhut in Germany, which is where I actually pitched Pastor Ian to come to be a pastor at this church, at that very place. Unwittingly, I didn't make the association. And uh, so the Great Awakening was this move of God that was characterized by this thing called the fear of the Lord. What do I mean by that? Well, 
we're, most of us call ourselves charismatics or Pentecostals or we spirit-filled. We have all kinds of names for this experience of the Holy Spirit that we have. But, but what we're essentially we're saying is this kind of attendant joy that comes from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me on that? You know? I mean, that's part of the doctrine of this church. All right. Well, the falling of the Holy Spirit or the coming of the fear of the Lord during the Great Awakening was a little bit different. It wasn't characterized by joy. It wasn't, char- although joy was there, it, it was characterized by the sense of a conviction that God's presence is here and, and that I'm not worthy of it unless, unless I come under the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. So it was characterized by these grand, these grand uh, assemblies of people both in the colonies in the U.S. and in England where thousands would come, for example, in the Philadelphia area to, to hear George Whitfield and the Holy Spirit would begin to fall and people would just fall to their knees and say, oh God, save me. I'm so sorry. Save me and come to Christ. I mean, thousands of a shot. Ben Franklin has a great, a great essay on, on what he saw when Whitfield preached in Philadelphia. He said, oh, if only I could say Mesopotamia like Mr. Whitfield. It was that kind of thing. It happened in England. A number of years ago, my friend Stuart Bell, who's an apostolic leader in the UK, and I, and Trish and his wife, Irene, decided to do, over two years, a Great Awakening tour. That we would visit all the sites of the Great Awakening that took place in the 18th century. We went to Northamptonshire, Massachusetts. One of the sites that we went to was a place in England called Epworth. Epworth was the place where John Wesley grew up. How many have heard the name Wesley? All right. Founder of Methodism, or at least one of the founders was his brother Charles. And so we went there, and it was really interesting because it's this little village in in Humberside. It's an area of England, way out in the middle of nowhere. It's a little village, and and there's a village church there. And we wanted to find the sarcophagus of Samuel Wesley, which was John Wesley's father, because John would stand on his father's sarcophagus and preach to thousands of in the open air. They would come from all over England and they would just assemble in this random field and he would preach to thousands and the Holy Spirit would fall. People would cry out for forgiveness. They would cry out for mercy and they would come to Christ and joy filled the earth. Well, we got there and no one knew where it was and we found the little village church. We went into the the graveyard and we had to clean off the leaves off all the sarcophagi. I guess that's what you say, right? Uh, sarcophagus. Anyway, anyway, so we cleaned off the leaves. We found, it says, here lie the mortal remains of Samuel Wesley. And we were just like, just thinking about what happened. And can that ever happen again? Can the fear of the Lord ever fall across the face of the earth? So it was a good day. I mean, I was perplexed by English understatement because if you go into the village, there was like a little village fountain in, in, the, in the center of the village. And there was a little plaque on the side of one of the buildings that said, John Wesley preached from this fountain in such and such a date. He was the founder of Methodism. That was it. I mean, that was all there was. Like if it was America, we would have a McDonald's there, right? We would be selling egg McMethodists, right? I mean, we, there's money to be made in religion, right? And so, so 
I was like, wow. Anyway, so that night, we're supposed to, that night we're supposed to, uh, Stuart, I'm sorry, Stuart was supposed to speak at the University of Hull, which is a, a big agricultural university in the North Sea, and uh, at the Student Union. And he said, why don't you go with me? And they want me to talk about the, the being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And why don't you, I, I do the testimonial part, and then you do the, the theology part, and then we can just pray for, for students. So I said, yeah, that'd be, that sounds like fun. So we went, we got there, it was early evening, and it was about this size of a crowd, maybe a little bit less, but it was full. The student union was packed with students. We were there, and Stuart got up first to begin to do his testimonial, and I was standing up there with him, and, and I was going to do the theological component, and then we're going to pray for people, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stuart started to speak. After five minutes, someone over kind of in this area, a student, I'm going to guess 20 years old or so, began to go, began to uh, say in a loud voice, oh my God, help me. Oh Lord, help me. Please save me. Save me. Oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I mean, really loud. And I, I, my first reaction was, wow, what did this guy do? Really? Because I've not seen anything like that before. And, and uh, so, so we went over to try and, con- he was kind of like inconsolable, you know. And so we went over and we began, he said, I just want to be saved. That's what he said. I'm, I've never experienced anything quite like that. And this is 25 years ago. And, and it was on the same day that we had visited Epworth. And, and uh, so we began to pray for him. And, and I, I kind of kneeled in front of him and began to lead him to Jesus Christ. And, and as I did, a girl over in this area of the room began to do the same thing. And, and so we finished with him, we went over there, and this began to go for the whole evening, throughout the whole of the evening, these students were crying out for grace and forgiveness and mercy and receiving new kingdom life in Jesus through the cross of Jesus Christ. We, I think we led half the group to the Lord that night. I've never seen anything like it since because it was just an anointing like that. What I realized was that's the fear of the Lord. Huh? When there's this sense that he is so good and gracious and, oh Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Right? Doesn't mean you walk through life like that, but you do reconcile with the living God consequent to that. Are you there? All right. And that's why the fear of the Lord is so important. Now, what are the places? This is where you really got to track. How, well, before I go there, let me ask you this. Have you noticed that there's a spirit of rage across the earth right now? I mean, look at the, look at the response I'm getting here, right? I mean, you know, what is it? Psalm 2, why do the nations rage when the king is on his throne? I mean, this is in Europe. It's here. I can't speak for the southern hemisphere. Well, yeah, I can. We were in Peru. Yeah, I can. I mean, there is a spirit of rage across the nations. I, I you know, I look at the, the, the imbecility, the idiocy of the war in the Ukraine, right? Men and women who called themselves brothers and sisters 25 years ago. I knew Putin was going to do what Putin did, but, but I couldn't get over the fact of, of, of how crazy and insane what was, going, what was about to go on was going to go on, and now there are tens of thousands of young people dead, yeah? All of whom name the name of Christ for the most part. 
maybe nominally, but still, they're Christian nations, allegedly. Are you there? There's a rage across the earth. I was driving, the other day, I'm driving in a, before I got back from England, I was driving in a, uh, a parking lot over, over near a strip mall, and I came around a corner, and I surprised a woman who was driving. I just, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't going too fast. She was just, you could tell, she was just on edge. And when I came around the corner in the parking lot, I startled her, and she, she went like this, and she began to scream at me, you know. I mean, scream at me. And I just saw you just scratch a little bit of the human soul and rage comes up with this in, 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 the, in, the, in the season that we're in. So I'm always interested in people who are kind of obsessively and compulsively angry or fearful because really what was at the root of, of this whole thing with the woman was, well, she, she, was in, she was not just enraged, she was fearful about something. Something was eating at her, and then this startled her, and then it manifested itself in anger. So one of the places in Scripture that I see the fear of the Lord move most manifestly and, and sovereignly is in Paul as he encounters the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. Most of you are familiar with the story, yeah? So I want to pack that, unpack that a little bit this morning. All right. I'm assuming most of you know, maybe some of you don't, but you can kind of check it out later, that Paul was persecuting Christians. He was breathing threats. He was throwing men and women in jail. He was attendant at the martyrdom of Stephen, but others as well, other martyrdoms as well. He was murdering, killing people, and breathing threats. And he was on his way. He had been deputized in a search and destroy posse to go to Damascus to persecute the church, to persecute Christians, and to see them executed and thrown in jail. So most of you know that story. So here's what's interesting. I I see in Paul a species of fear operating. In other words, I've always asked myself, what is fueling Paul's rage? What, What has a hold of this guy who is an obsessed religious conspiracy person? That's what he is, and that's how he's moving. So most of us know the story, and I want to say this morning that the same God who knocked this impassioned religious person named Saul off his feet 2,000 years ago is here this morning as well, huh? And, and he can rock every world in here as much as he rocked Paul's world on the Damascus Road. Because all, this story is all about a religious person discovering the true fear of the Lord. Okay, here's what's important when I talk about two kinds of fear. Paul, watch this, in encountering the risen Jesus, did it as a devout Jew. Can I say that again? Because this kind of leaves us. He encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus as a devout Jew. He didn't cease to be a Jew when he encountered Jesus, right? Religion per se, was his problem. And when we get down to it, the wrong kind of fear was his problem. And so I want to approach the Damascus Road as as how the wrong kind of fear can obstruct the right kind of fear that God wants us all to be able to walk in. Are you tracking with me here? Okay. All right. In the book of Acts, there are three different descriptions of what took place on the road to Damascus. 
One is Luke's account. Most of us are, you know, familiar with that. We read it, we preach it, and so forth. There's another one. But in Acts chapter 26, Paul tells his story, his own story, personally. It's not Luke recounting it. It's Paul. Paul tells his own story to Agrippa, the king of Judea and Samaria, before whom Paul is now under arrest and being sent to Rome. Okay? And so these are Paul's words. I want to go to Acts 26 and begin in verse 8. What's really interesting here, Paul's going to give his defense before the king. But what he starts with is the resurrection. Huh? So in verse 8, Paul says, Why, Agrippa, is it considered incredible? The word there means beyond belief among you people if God does raise the dead. See, Paul was a Pharisee, watch this, who believed in the resurrection of all the dead. That's part of his Judaism, okay? But Paul begins his story by declaring his belief in the resurrection as a devout Jew. But watch this. Paul saw the claim of a resurrected Jesus as the greatest threat to his religion and to his faith. And Paul is obsessively afraid of Christians and the possible truth of the resurrection. Huh? He's afraid for something. Afraid for something. Verse 9. So then, he says, I thought to myself, I had to do many things. It was up to me. I was responsible to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I was forced. Well, forced by what? Forced by his fear for his God. Huh? Am I losing you here? All right. Verse 10. And this is just what I did, he said, in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, he says, I cast my votes against them. See, it wasn't only Stephen that he put to death. It was many people that he put to death. And Paul has already stated that he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a theologian and a Pharisee. Paul had the authority of a lawyer, and he cast men and women into prison and put them to death. And in verse 11, he says, and as I punished them often in all the synagogues. Now, you've got to ask yourself, what's driving this guy, yeah? As I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being Furiously, the word there means insanely enraged at them. I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. What he was, the blasphemy that he was looking for, he just wanted them to say that Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. That's all he wanted them to say. Okay. Verse 12. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests, he was on this search and destroy mission. Thir- verse 13. At midday, O king... Agrippa, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. Remember Chad's prophecy this morning? A pure light. Midday sun's sun is, sun is at, at its brightest. It's our star at its brightest. It was brighter than that. If we, we look at the other accounts, we know it was so bright that Paul was blinded by the light. That kind of light. Verse 14. And when we had all, this is his whole troop, his whole posse, fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, that's Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I find that fascinating. Now, why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting me? 
And he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, goads are interesting things. If you go to the Middle East, I remember seeing them in Morocco, you'll see shepherd boys walking around with sticks, and they have a, 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 a line on the end, and on the end of the line is a, a, a piece of metal that, that kind of shimmers in the, in the sunlight. And they go like this, and the sheep see it, and they know that, that they can follow where, where they're being led. It's a, it's a device. It's called a goad. And Jesus says to Paul, you know what? You're avoiding, you're kicking against the goat itself. In other words, you're, you're, I am leading you somewhere all this time. You're absolutely unaware of it. You don't know it, but you're, you're, you're not only doing it, you're persecuting me for doing it. That's pretty amazing. Okay, verse 15. And, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now we know from Paul's account to the Corinthians that, that, that Paul knew that in the midst of the light, he was actually seeing the risen, physical Jesus Christ. Yikes, huh? Verse 16, and this is my, this is my favorite part of this passage. The guy's laying there. He's blind. He, he, he's been knocked off his horse. He's incapacitated. He's as vulnerable as anybody can be emotionally, as vulnerable as anybody can be physically. He's, his world has turned topsy-turvy. And, you know, you'd expect Jesus to say, go get Ananias in Damascus, get a bunch of the brothers to come out here, lay hands on him, to, you know, let him at least sit up and get some nourishment. But Jesus looks down at Paul and says, get up! Stand on your feet. For this purpose I've appeared to you to appoint you, to convert you, no, to appoint you a minister. Wow. What an inopportune time to give somebody a call in their life. Huh? Are you there? Right in the midst of their fear. A witness, not only to things which you have seen, but also to the things which I'll appear to you. Verse 17 rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. He's saying, look, not only, are you, not only are you going to be disliked by the Christians, the Jews are going to hate you too. Nobody's going to like you, Paul. Good news right there. All right, verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Chad, your, once again, your, your prophecy this morning. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Can I, can I point out there's only two dominions that we have to deal with? Huh? That's not a popular message these days. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So Paul was living his life afraid for his Lord. And with this account, Paul experiences what I characterize the fear of the Lord. He was responsible in his mind to defend his God. And his God wasn't God. His God was his religion. Are are you following me? And this fear of the Lord from this time forward carries Paul to the ends of the known earth with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. So... I want for us to ask ourselves, because I hear this word all the time, I hear people say all the time, we need a new dispensation of the fear of the Lord. How many have heard that? 
People don't fear God anymore. We need people to fear God. Well, I think it's worth asking what that looks like. In other words, at what cost do we fear God? All right? We have to ask ourselves a question. When Paul was on his way to Damascus, once again, what was fueling him? What was the fuel of his rage? What was the fuel of his fear? What is, what is he afraid of? What is he really defending? And the answer at first seems preposterous, but for him it was his faith, huh? a misguided faith. He's absolutely convinced that the gospel of Jesus is a deep threat to Israel and a deep threat to him, but more a deep threat to God. Are you following me here? All right. Paul's religion has become Paul's idol. Paul's religion has become his Lord. And it's a great object lesson in the whole issue of fear and idolatry. When we have idols in our lives and we've invested ourselves emotionally in them and, and those idols become challenged, whatever they are, we put our dukes up because we're afraid somebody's going to wreck our idols. <laughs> Paul's afraid for his Lord. See, this is how idolatry works. And this is where I want to go. An idol is anything that we worship and devote ourselves to other than Jesus. And when it's challenged, we defend it. Yeah. More than that, here's where Paul's faith and, and the faith of the church part company because Paul believes that defending his religion in Israel or his responsibility, he's afraid he's got to do it. But for we who have faith in Jesus, we understand that Jesus defends us. Huh? So can I point out that we all have idols in our lives? Good things, good, good things can be idols. Bad things can be idols. What makes them idols is we're devoted to them that puts them in the way of the Lord. Puts them in the way of Jesus. And sometimes we have to get so devoted to them that we, we have to get knocked off our horses. So here, here's the principle. Fear for whoever or whatever is your Lord this morning is an obstacle to the fear of the Lord. It's the cost of the fear of the Lord. Now, when we speak of idolatry, we go for the obvious things. Alcohol, drugs, porn, religion, Politics, work, celebrity, academia, theology, codependency. You know, you can add to the list, yeah? It's all there. Matter of fact, you know, we're about to enter a, 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 another election season. I see flashpoints of idolatry everywhere. Huh? Are you, you know, I see that everywhere. I gotta check my... I got 12 minutes? It's 12. I have 12 minutes. Are you sure? This is the second Holy Spirit right here speaking to me. Okay. <laughs> Paul was protecting the very wrong thing that was giving him identity and security. And he was at the point where he'd even murder to see that, it, that, it, that, that he could maintain it. And I want to point out that on the road to Damascus, Paul was angry, he was insecure, he was homicidal, he was paralyzed by fear. He wasn't being brave. 
He was being desperate. And if I understand the existing culture that we live in right now, where rage is across the face of the earth, I see desperation everywhere, right? And, and, and if I understand this existing culture that we have to live in as a church and minister to, it's characterized by idols of narcissism, sexual deviancy, addiction, violence, rage, and, and consequently, people are more anxiety-ridden, fearful, suicidal, and insecure than any other time in my lifetime. Am I losing us? That's what's going on right now. I think... This is the place that ha- it has to change, yeah? It's the church, yeah? See, the fear of the Lord is rooted in a confidence in a God who is the resurrection himself. Huh? The fear of the Lord means that I, I, I live in heartfelt anticipation of God revealing his sovereignty, protecting me, being with me every single day I'm alive. Everything can become new because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So that's why I almost fell off the chair when I noticed the first time how Paul begins his story to Agrippa by citing the resurrection. Agrippa's a Jew. So what do we do about that? Well, what I'm kind of sensing is that today's a great day to repent of our idols. Sorry. (laughs) You know, in other words... The greatest indication of idolatry in our lives is fear and anxiety. Our idolatry in our lives is, is fear and anxiety, huh? And, and I want for us to allow the Holy Spirit just for a moment to, to examine us. The psalmist says that the Holy Spirit is the finger of God. I would like for the Holy Spirit to examine us and put his finger on what it is that causes us to have a lingering feelings of anxiety all the time. And I want to break them. Now I realize, you know, that I, I love counseling, I love, you know, deliverance, I love all, all of those ministries in the church, but sometimes there just has to be a knock off your horse kind of event where you repent of that one idol. And, and you never really make the connection between the idol and the anxiety that you're living with, but the Holy Spirit can do that because you feel like you have to defend it. I, I need that drink. No, I, I, no, I, need, I, you know, I need to be able to... Uh, this is really interesting. I was dealing with somebody not terribly long ago who was very addicted to porn. And, and uh, you know, we have a way, you know, in the church to deal with that. It was, it's with a... a a program that can, you know, bring accountability and so forth. And this guy was, we, he was really desperate. And so we, we came to him, two of us came to him and said, look, we will put this program on your computer. This will break the power this thing has over you. And he said, no, wouldn't let us do it. He, he became defensive for it. Isn't that interesting? Anybody here who suffered compulsion knows how quickly we can become defensive for the things that are breeding the anxiety within us in the sense of separation from God. And we fear for that Lord in our life, that Baal, right? And I want to kind of deal with that this morning. Is that okay with everybody? Only got, what, 10 minutes, that's all we need, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how long it took Paul to fall off his horse. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> 
All right. Here's what I'd like to do. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the musicians to come up. Josephine, if you come up in, in, in Mukunji, and Johnny, if you dance up here. I wanted to get him, listen, I wanted to get him a top hat and a cane, you know. It's going to be a miracle. Here's what I'd like us to do, because I believe the Lord can do this. I'm just going to ask us to pray a prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to put his finger on an idol in our lives. But the, the measure of the idol is this, that it puts us in fear that we, we, some part of us does not want to let it go because we're depending, depending upon it at some level. And it's why it's held us for so long. And then what we're going to do is we're going to repent together. Okay. I'll be with you in this. I got something the Lord's speaking to me about. Okay. And then we begin a process of freedom. All right. It's, in other words, it's an event that begins a process some of us may need to go to counseling. Some of us may need to just begin to do spiritual direction or go into prayer and fasting or whatever. Or some of us can be released immediately, just like that. You know, Paul, it took 13 years for Paul to move from his commission all the way over to where he was on his way in his first missionary journey. We forget about that, yeah? Right? But he did, go to, he did go to Petra immediately and begin to prepare. All right, so pray with me. You can tickle the plastic there. Be good. Yeah. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, there are those, there are those among us who probably don't even know that name Jesus, but this morning can be the beginning. All it requires is an acknowledgement of what's in the way and repentance. But for those of us who know Jesus, Father, we, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit in that very name, in the name of Jesus, to come within our hearts and put your finger on what's fueling the irritability in our lives, what's fueling anger in our lives, what's fueling anxiety in our lives, fueling an attendant fear we walk through life with, fueling a feeling that the universe is out to get us. It's all a lie, and it's keeping us from you. So, Lord Jesus, in your name we ask, invite the Holy Spirit. We're just going to take one minute and God is going to put his finger on things in our hearts right now. One minute. Makanji here online. If you're at home, just one minute. One minute of a little music and the probing of the hand of God.
probative hand of the living God's long time, isn't it? If, if there's any here, I'm, I'm saying I'm standing because I'm already standing, but if there's any here who need to acknowledge that uh, they're off their horse, we're going to do the counterintuitive thing and stand up. So if that's you, you can stand up and we're going to pray for ourselves in just a moment. Makanji, at home, here, you can take your feet right now. I'm going to pray. I'd like you to join with me in this prayer. Agree with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as brothers and sisters, a church, congregations, people at home. We come before you right now and we ask you to forgive us for devoting ourselves to things or people that are in the way you. Lord, we confess that we've been confronted by the Holy Spirit in the past. We've been confronted by our brothers and sisters, people who love us in the past, and we have denied it, or we've ignored it, because some part of us leans into that idol and says, I need it. i got to have that. We repent ask your forgiveness and we pray right now take authority over one another in the name of Jesus Christ and break the power of that thing or whatever it is we break it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth by the power of the cross we rain down the blood of the living God Jesus Christ over these congregations these ones who are standing new day. Free from anxiety. Break the power of anxiety. Break the power of fear. Break the power of that haunting irritability. Break the power of anger. In the name of Jesus. We receive it by faith right now. Receive it by faith in Jesus' name. If you have never really given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it right now. Just follow through with what we're doing. The key is repentance and receiving the forgiveness and the freedom that's His. of intellectual arrogance somebody's dealing with that you just you can't let go of a God that doesn't seem rational to you God says I'm, I'm dashing I'm dashing your need your obsessive need for rationality by the power of the spirit 
when I'm revealing the living, organic, alive God resurrected for you this morning. I think it's somebody at home, actually. Okay, I want you to pay attention now to me just before we, before we go. Here's how we repent, okay? Jesus said to Paul, Jesus is saying to us right now, Jesus said to Paul, get up, stand on your feet. I mean, he was merciless in that sense. And the, the word of the Lord this morning, the word of the Lord of the church in this season actually, is get up and stand on your feet now. I have something for you to do. I have stuff for you to do. And the thing about the fear and the thing about anxiety is it cripples us. It, it keeps us from walking in to our destinies. Are you there? This is a destiny new day. It's a destiny new day. And, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to shine his light on people in Mukunji here watching online. And God's saying to us, get up, I have something for you to do. Because the issue isn't just conversion, the issue is commission. And so today is a day of commissioning of sorts. It may not be a new idea for us, but it may be something for us to do in order to be repentant and to walk in what God has done this morning. Amen? Father, we seal that. Seal new destinies. It's, God, it's time. This is the word of the hour for the church. God is saying, whose instrument are you from here to four? That's what the Lord's saying. Amen, and amen, and amen. I want to throw in one last thing before we sing. The name's Saul. See, Paul's... Paul didn't become Paul yet, right? His name was Saul. The name Saul means asked for in in Aramaic. It means asked for. So presumably the scholars think, well, you know, that must mean that that Paul's parents wanted a kid. And so they were asking God for a kid. And so they named him Saul because he was asked for. I have a different theory on that. I think Jesus was looking from heaven watching Saul murder the saints. I think Jesus was watching him breathe threats and lead his search and destroy posse across the nations. And on the throne, Jesus said to the Father, I'm asking for that one. See, we're asked for this morning. Yeah. And so it's worth going out with. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.